So 7,500 people were telling us all these things they wanted, but that they weren't the customer we were building the product for, right? Fast forward, that was 2017, 18, 19, 20, four years, five years of people continuing to tell us stuff who we're not building the product for, we ended up having to build stuff, wasting, not necessarily wasting time, but if we, in 2018, if we said, no, we're only building for sales reps, we would have taken a big hit on revenue, but we would have built a very focused business faster. Welcome to SaaS Origin Stories. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with founders as they share stories from the earlier days of their SaaS startups. We'll cover painful challenges, early wins, and actionable takeaways. You'll hear firsthand the do's and don'ts of building and growing a SaaS, as well as inspirational stories to fuel you on your own SaaS journey. Here is your host, Phil Alves. Okay, today I have Sujan Patel from Mailshake, and he's going to be telling us a little bit about how it was to start that business. Um, Sujan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being here. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm super, super excited to share this, uh, share the story, and, and just uh, you know help pave uh, the way forward for future entrepreneurs and, and software founders. Thank you. We appreciate your time. So the first question that I like to, to ask founders when they come to the show is like, just tell me a little bit about, about Mailshake and what problem were you trying to solve when you start that product? Yeah. So uh, when I started Mailshake, this was 2015. Uh, my goal was to start any, to like start a SaaS business. And I didn't care what uh, was the problem. To, to solve, I was trying to find a idea to start with to get experience on how to, how to run a software business. And I was like, let me just practice on an idea, a problem I know that's, uh, that, that is facing myself and, and people I know. And which was, uh, which was really like, uh, when we started, we were trying to solve this, uh, this problem for marketers and specifically content marketers doing all sorts of outreach, whether it's like, you know, to build partnerships, uh, co-marketing opportunities, link building, SEO related, uh, you know, recruit people for a podcast. So, you know, many reasons why someone would reach out to folks like how you got connected to me, right? You reached out, we, you know, I said, yes, well, we talked back and forth and we, we were doing this. That was the problem at the time. There was not a lot of great tools out there. In fact, they all suck. I was using, I've used all of them. They all had an issue or another, and um, and that's where the idea came from. I like it. I really like it because you say, like, first, it looks like you have no pressure upon yourself. You're like, let me go try to figure out something. And you found a problem that you were very familiar with and that you knew the competition, that they suck, and, and you knew that you, you could go and, and do better, but you understood that problem well enough. That's, that's kind of like even how I have done with my own SaaS. It's, it's, it's a problem that I understand well. Yeah, and and I will well. So for that, so that's the intro, right? Well, here's what happened. Uh, it was not the problem we ended up solving. We pivoted. Uh, turns out, well, like long story short, we built the product for for marketing people, uh, but we didn't, you know, we didn't limit it just to marketing people. We got salespeople using the product, 
and they loved it too. And they're like, well, if it had this, that, the other, if it was like slightly different use case, like if you like added the ability to have a team instead of just one user per account and like just basic stuff, um, we would love this too. It would work for us too. And that customer was even better because when, when, we're, when we're selling to marketers, when we found, you know, I know this, I've, I've been doing marketing for 20 plus years. They're picky. There's, they're they high demands. They want every feature and functionality. And if it doesn't work perfectly, they're pissed. And even if it does work perfectly, they're pissed at something else. Right. Um, and, and so they're very picky, hard audience to, to, to satisfy sales reps. Are like I had, don't get any software ever. Uh, no one builds software for me. Really. I'm used to using Salesforce and these clunky things. And if I use this and I make, I make money from this. Right. And so, you know, so back up a step, MailShake, MailShake is an outreach platform. Um, started off as email outreach and now we'll kind of do all things sales engagement. But long story short, marketer was getting access to build a relationship with somebody. Sales reps were closing deals and generating revenue and then telling their friends. And so like people just started making money with our product. And that was like, Oh, why are we targeting marketers when sales people love it? Um, and the reason they loved it was like, there was no training involved. It was really simple and easy to get set up uh, and get started. Like not just set up, but like, get your first campaign out the door. And that was like our aha moment. It just came like 18 months after we built the company. That, that's that's nice. So, so basically, it looks like what you were telling me, it's the salespeople had a bigger pain, right? Their pain were bigger, their, their outcomes were better for them because they're making sales and they were they become a better customer for, for the product. Uh, it took you a little bit to figure that out, but one thing, when you say about pe people being very picky, I always say if the pain is big enough, people are gonna be more patient <laughs> with, with okay products as you, as you keep improving your product. Uh, when there's a bigger pain, there's a little bit more patience. Would, would you agree with that statement and do you think that's why it worked well for that target? I, I think so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, and I think on the marketing front, um, there wasn't that big of a pain. Um, because there was other tools out there, like people did it manually. Like there are many other ways to move forward where like the sales reps, like they wanted, they really wanted to make more money. They were like hungry at whatever can give them a leg up to make close more deals. Their willingness to do it was just far greater um, to try and test and meet whatever. And so, yeah, I think that was a, a you know, um, a, a big wow moment. And again, like, I didn't really think much of it because I was looking at this as like, this is my side project. In fact, like the way I looked at this was my wife at the time was getting her MBA. And I'm like, I had successful exit, uh, sold my marketing agency. I was like, I will get my MBA too, but I hate school. I can't sit there and learn. <laughs> I learned by doing. So I was like, I'll do this. This is my MBA. I devoted a hundred grand of my own money to go spend in doing this. Um, and then, you know, 50,000 users later, we're still, we're still at it growing. Oh, I, I love that advice. I, so, so many times, like we go and we try to, to start a business and even if we fail, it, many times it's actually cheaper than an MBA or the same price of MBA and you learn so much more. So that looks like that was your approach to this whole thing. Like instead of going to an MBA, I'll put $100,000 here and I'm gonna learn. Yeah, and I also like piggybacked on my wife's like classmates and like access to her MBA program. So I was like, hey, <laughs> professor of my wife's 
class. Can I pick your brain on something? Um, and so I definitely got like a little free ride there too. That's awesome. So why do you think you're the right founder to, to build Mailshake? Like, well, I think it comes down to like tenacity and um, like find. Like, I had an itch. Like I had like ambition and tenacity. So when I say ambition, it's like I wanted to start a software company. I was open to the idea, like because I, my background's like I, I came from working with in the consulting business uh, and working on an agency where I was working with many different business models and businesses. I wasn't attached to any one idea. I just like I like traffic going up. I like conversions going up. I like revenue going up. Like that those charts and and the outcomes from all my marketing efforts are what excites me it could be i've done work in, for nail polish shoes you know like erp software like tax software like some of the most boring stuff and i find like everything is exciting so i wasn't really attached to the business idea i was attached to a bit doing a business and when i say tenacity because at the time of my life, um, or grit is probably a better way to look at this. At the time of my life, I had no kids, at savings. I had a full time job. My wife was in school, so maybe that didn't. That was like the negative thing, like single income for two, you know, a family. But but ultimately, um, I had nothing. I, I had a hundred k and a year or two to lose, and I was willing to spend the time. Um, so it was a good timing, right? So like a lot of times I think people mistake like, okay, like let's say they hear this and they go try to do that. Well, what if it's not the right time? Like not everybody has to start a business at any time. You know, any time is not the best time. I usually find downturns. All of my businesses and my most success have happened when the economy is shit. And then the reason I say, the reason that is the case is that that's when I'm like, fuck it, I have nothing else to lose. Let's go, right? Um, in 2008 is when I started my marketing agency. And what, because I started when it was like, like getting business was really hard, when the economy, when things were better, I was like, this is really easy. Like, how hard can it be? Uh, I mean, like, why is it this so easy? And so, uh, you know, kind of like, there's, a, you know, obviously things are really, pretty bad in the, in the world right now in terms of like the economy or well, a lot of reasons, but economy specifically, this is a great time to build that grit. That's amazing. So, so basically just to kind of reiterate, you feel like you're the right found, founder that because of the timing was the right timing for you personally it was the time that you had the time you had the desire to go. And, and I love what you say about uh, the like downturn being the best moment to, to start a business like um i had people come to me and ask i have about 100 employees and people are worried because of the recession that that's coming and i'm like guys after after each recession there's a boom i'm excited we just have to pass through this and after this it's going to be amazing because there's always after the dip there's the biggest going up uh you know and like you say and if you get stronger into in those times so i think that's very timely uh, for us to talk a little bit about that too like so um so many times like maybe if you're in the right place 
personally, mentally, with your personal life, uh, the downturn doesn't matter and might even make you stronger to, to start a business uh, right now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So my next question, how did you build the first version of the product? How did you fund it, the first version? Yeah. So I, the way I started, so I had the idea, I'm kind of, a, I, I'm not a developer. I've gotten better at product uh, and I, I like practice that craft uh, prior to starting Mailshake and, and actually during, but uh, I found a technical co-founder that can build what I wanted and I convinced him to to join me, take a risk on this endeavor. Uh, and I would, and I told him I'd front the cost up to a hundred grand. Um, and, uh, and so how much did I end up spending? Uh, probably close to like 250 and slash making no money for like two, three years, mm, three and a half years. So, you know, uh, quite a bit more, but like, it wasn't, it was, we actually like the funny thing is like we so how we built it was with a technical co-founder, but it took us eighteen months. We went through all that money, and then um, we had like a hail mary because we found salespeople love this, and I was like, okay, I'm willing to go a little deeper in the red before we, to see if this thing can have legs before we give up. Um, and so that's kind of when things took off. Uh, well, not yeah, actually, like it was like. Things took off in the beginning because we did a really good pre-launch marketing and we had a really good uh, launch off the gate. But then we had, you know, activation problems, churn problems, like product market fit. And then when we got the sales customer, it just like took off by like no marketing at all. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the first customers, but first let's go back. So you, you brought a technical co-founder, but you were paying the person a little bit of a salary too. Like where was that money going? That that money that you were investing? Uh, it was going into like hosting costs, design, marketing. Um, like it was mostly infrastructure costs, like mostly hosting bills, um, like software costs, like intercom we use and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, my partner had like a, uh, had a runway as well. And when that ran out, I was like, I'll front, you know, I'll front whatever your minimum living cost you need is. So then it was some salary stuff, but, um, that wasn't until like probably like a year in. Got it. And so it's interesting how this really took a long time and you coming from a service business, service businesses are usually very profitable there. You don't lose money in a service business. And now you're losing money for like two and a half years. How did that play for you mentally? How did you work through that? I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care. I was like, <laughs> I wanted great. to see, uh, I had limits. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do the first hundred K. And like at that hundred K we decided, you know what? Like let's give this another six months and let's target the sales customer. And it's probably going to cost us another 50 K or so to kind of do that. Let's see what we got. And in that 50 K it worked. And then, so we, I still continue to burn more money. Um, because we didn't become profitable and there's still like more hosting costs and like development costs. We, we hired like another developer. And so like I, I used my cash to, you know, we fueled back the revenue to get that person and some cash to get them earlier. Um, so I didn't care cause it was working. Um, but I also went in saying like, I'm going to go in this hundred K and I don't care if I lose it. Um, it's a lesson. Um, or like, like had Mailshake failed in the first two years, I would have said that's the best 100K 
best education I got for 100K. That's a great mentality and way to go through. And, and I think like it also goes back to like last year, I got into angel investing and the advice they give you, don't invest money you're not willing to, to lose. Uh, it looks like what you were doing, but you're getting a lot more return because you are in, you're learning. And of course, um, the product grew and, and become something pretty big. Yep. Yep. So. So let's talk about the first customers, and I would like to do like twice, <laughs> because you have the first few customers in the marketing, and then you have the first few customers where you actually found your product market fit, uh, where people stopped churning. So could you tell us like how it was with the first, and how, how did it again the second time, and how, how was the process? Yeah, so the first 100, probably first 250 customers or so uh, were all from pre-launch marketing. So here's the timeline. February 2015, we had January, we had the idea. February, I recruited Colin, my co founder, um, started developing it and started marketing. So, from February to July, and July, we launched. And like July 10th or 15th, like we got 200 customers. It was really fast. And that wasn't fast because by accident, it was fast because from when we had the idea, we started doing marketing. It's called pre launch marketing. Um, so I was like, hey, I'm targeting marketers. I've got this big, big, bold vision. We're going to make content marketing outreach or marketing outreach easier. We're going to revolutionize it. Like we just made bold statements and then we had content on a blog and I would just be doing podcast interviews, whatever I can, wherever I can get, right? Even if it's a stage of two people, right? I, again, like I want to get the idea off the ground. And when we launched, we did a, a, like we, we, every week we would email our list with content and the progress recruited beta testers. And so like we got about four or 5,000 people over the few years. And I use my personal blog, cjpatel.com to talk about this as well and say, Hey, like I'm building Mailshake, come check it out. Um, and then, um, that's how we got like 5,000 or so subscribers. And then that turned into about 250 or so customers. Um, and what sucked from there was like 250 turned into like 150 and like that last, like the next 12 months after we got that 250 was where we didn't have product market fit or like you know again retention issues and and whatnot and, and then you found pro product market fit and then you kind of like did you do it again like a, another kind of sort of pre-lunch so like what are you done now like first, yeah. how did you find product market fit? You really, really touched on, on a little bit, but if you could go a little bit deeper on how you found product market fit and what changed like in marketing, like after yeah. that. Yeah, dumb luck, right? Um, straight up dumb luck. Um, I, you know, um, we had the product out there. We didn't talk about how much we're struggling. On the back end, we're freaking dying, right? Like our hosting cost was the biggest, like, cause we wanted to get things out the door. So like it was inefficient. And our, like our burn rate was just so high because of our hosting and um, how we're doing things in the back end, and we got that cost down like you know a year later. But like to get the product out fast, we just went fast um, and took shortcuts. But long story short, through that year of like slogging away getting customers, I would be writing and guest blogging and doing podcast interviews, and you know sometimes I would targeting like agencies and an agency like like a marketing agency they have salespeople they some agency bought it and they gave it to their salesperson and that guy loved it 
and he told some friends and like it was just like spreading from there and i was like hey well, what do you love about it let's let me interview you i don't even know this persona um so dumb luck slash talking to customers so what what happened behind the scenes was that when anyone who signed up because we knew you know during this 12 months we knew we had a, like a retention and activation problem and like people weren't successfully using this so it's trying to figure out what we can do in the product or outside of the product to um to help them to solve this problem so i would be doing i was doing concierge onboarding so i would offer a call with every new customer that signed up and i'm just like, hey i'm gonna give you let me help you with the strategy let me help you with like this that like i tried different messaging and so essentially because i was putting myself out there and trying to solve this problem and like i literally accidentally got the customer that was a sales rep uh a salesperson uh, i talked to them and i was like why do you like this product he's like uh because it's so freaking easy i did this 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 go and then i gave it to three of my reps and like didn't have to teach them anything and they went to town and then like i told my friends because this is an awesome product it's super cheap blah 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 right um, so I doubled down on the awesomeness and I, uh, we then said, okay, how, like, and he gave us this particular person gave us feedback and he said, I wish it had this, adding more users to a team. Like I can create multiple campaigns, like, you know, four or five little things, little things that took us like six months to do, maybe like four or five months to do. <laughs> and, and then we were like, oh, well that makes more sense. Let's keep this product going. Let's reduce our costs. So we shut off all of our marketing and all that stuff. And let's go build all these functionality and rebrand. So at that time, actually, it wasn't called Mailshake. It was called contentmarketer.io. And because we're targeting content marketers. And well, first of all, contentmarketer.io is probably the worst name for a sales tool, right? And so uh, I think it was probably like a few weeks before we launched what, you know, version one of Mailshake uh, that we find the name Mailshake. And it was like, we had all these like ideas and names and we got like a trademark issue with the name we did want to go with because uh, Microsoft owned the trademark. I was like, oh yeah, we're going to get sued like day one. <laughs> we're going to be out of business again. So I, don't know, I found like, found this, came up with this name, Mailshake and, and, uh, and then like one week before we launched, like changed everything up and, and went to town. Um, and again, now the messaging was salespeople. So how do we get our first hundred sales customers? Well, we had an advocate and, and so also pre-launch marketing. So while we were building this new one with all of the, not with the four or five features this person wanted, I also reviewed all of the tools in the sales space. So at the time there was outreach, there was Yesware, there was street tout app. There was like five or 10 people and we found, and, and a customer here, is telling me one customer at the time was telling me it's so easy to use it doesn't require any training i can get a campaign out the door and i we got more of those customers as i mentioned like people were he was telling some of their friends and whatever so that turned into five customers 10 customers on these on the old product meanwhile i would look at all our competitors and the common theme was they're way too expensive and they're way too complicated to use so aha clearly there's something there in no training, easy to use, get a campaign out the door quickly, aka sign up and start making money as quickly as possible uh, without any training or headaches. So we doubled down in that. So I was like, how, instead of saying, what do we need to build? 
how we, we started asking the question, what can we do to make this simple and like drive people to just doing the right things and all the other functionality? Sure. Like put it in there, but like make sure it's not getting in the way of like a campaign getting out the door. So when we launched, we already had like 50, 60 customers that are salespeople using our other product because we said, hey, we're pivoting. Check out this thing. So we already started doing pre-launch marketing again. And then we launched. We did. We this time around, um, we launched again on the product hunt. Uh, again, more sales reps. So I had more sales reps talking about us at the time of launch. And then about a month in, we did an app sumo, a lifetime deal. Um, and we got about, I don't know, eight, eight or 9,000 users um, using the product. Now, they were not all sales reps. Uh, they were they were founders, marketers, they're everything. Again, like, even though our ideal customer is a sales rep, uh, non-sales people can use it as well. And we didn't want to shun them away, which actually turned out to be probably a big mistake. And spent we, we spent a lot of time um, and... and, and in cloudy judgment from the not right customer. But long story short, that was how we got our first, you know, couple hundred customers, users, and then, um, you know, uh, 8,000 users. And then from 8,000, we literally, it was just all product led growth. Like people came in, they spread the word, more people came in the next month and like everything was just going up and to the right. I love this story. I think there's a lot of insights here for founders. First, like any business that's successful, if you don't say luck, there's always involved. If you don't say yeah. luck, you're lying. Luck is always involved. But another thing is like, there's a saying, the harder I work, the lucky, the luckier I get, you know? So you're working hard interviewing these people and you found the right person. And I love how you went about you. You went and did a big messaging, of course, being a marketing guy, you probably all about messaging, all about branding. So when you figure out like who your target was, you went and did a big, a big messaging thing where you change your, your business name, you, you went and change your messaging around to make sure you were talking to the right customer. Um, and, and then he took that product to market, did the pre-lunch again. I, I think that's amazing insight for people because maybe if something is not right, it might be that when you get the right insight, it might make sense for you to, to do a rebrand, to change the name and, and to change the messaging around and to also understand what's important for, for your public. You understood that simplicity was important and then you went after simplicity. Uh, so so it's so so much uh, nuggets here for, for the founder listening to this show uh, about how to go about it. Uh, but you touched on something and I would like to dive deeper in that because we always make mistakes, right? So then you're touching the, what you felt like was a big mistake, uh, even though we, we just went through to this whole process and, and got very clear on what customer was. Uh, can, can you go big, a little bit deeper on that mistake about maybe going to broad and bringing the wrong customer in and, 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 and how eventually you overcome that and, and how long did it take, how, how much did it cost you? <laughs> yeah, so... Um... So we had two, so that was mistake number two, actually. So the first mistake I wanted to answer real quick and mention this is the biggest mistake we made was going too slow at everything we did, right? Because there's only two people. Like I could have spent the 200 something K I spent on the business in six months. I could have killed, I didn't need to wait 12 months before saying this isn't working. I could have waited three months. Um, the data didn't change from three months to 12 months, it just got shit, continued to be shitty. 
right? Um, I continued to spend money. So the writing was on the wall. I should have just said, boom, like, let's stop. Let's stop it. I should have doubled down when we got the sales fit. So my, my, my co-founder said, oh, it's going to take me four or five months to build this. I should have asked him, what is it going to take to get this done next month? And in fact, as a manager now, you know, I deal with, I have about like eight, seven or eight direct reports. They're all manager, director, VPs, C-level folks. I, my biggest question to folks when they say it's going to be XYZ timeline is like, well, what, what do I need to do? How can I get stuff out of your way to make this done next week? And it never becomes next week, but like generally the timeline gets cut by 30, 40%. Anyways, so going faster was mistake. Not going fast enough was mistake number one. Uh, and because of that, our competitors, more people entered the space. Our competitors got funding it further along. And so now we had to like do stuff. Our goal, our job was harder. So mistake number two that I pointed out earlier, you know, turned out to be a, a ticking time bomb because we got so many personas. Yes, we got a lot of revenue and a lot of customers through the door. We got 8,000 users, 8,000 paying customers. They paid us once. But then that helped us with the word of mouth. But of the 8,000, 7,500 were not salespeople probably somewhere there. Like it was like an enormous amount that were not salespeople. So 7,500 people were telling us all of these things they wanted, but that they weren't the customer we were building the product for, right? Fast forward, that was 2017, late 2017, 18, 19, 20. Four years, five years of people continuing to tell us stuff that we're not, who we're not building the product for, we ended up having to build stuff, wasting, not necessarily wasting time, but if we, in, in 2018, if we said, no, we're only building for sales reps, we would have taken a big hit on revenue, but we would have built a very focused business faster. Um, and again, it comes back to speed and focus. And like, we would have built four reps and we could have not built features for not sales reps that didn't really help us along the way. So what ended up happening is founders and some of these very small, like, so and we had a lot of very small businesses. Think about like solopreneurs. I'd, I'd actually say it's solopreneurs and like very early stage businesses that they haven't figured out like their business model yet. That two, those two customers um, have a high churn profile. And it wasn't because our product sucks and it wasn't for them. It's because they're not there yet. Their business isn't there yet. And so uh, if we didn't get that revenue, which was like in the last five, seven years, it was like over $10 million. So uh, I still, I mean, $10 million is a lot of money. Um, we would have been smaller, but more focused and got the right features for the right customers out the door faster. And um, yeah, so, you know, in hindsight, how long did it take us to fix that mistake? Uh, we still let people that are not salespeople in the door, but we're draw we line in 2020 to say, we're building for salespeople. Yeah, you can do this, but we're not building features and functionality for that. Um, but in, in that, in that, uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, in that four years, um, we, we spent millions of dollars and four freaking years building like dozens of stuff, dozens of features for a customer 
that has a high churn profile that ultimately went away. Makes sense. So I, I think the biggest insight here is like avoid the noise. Like right, you had too many people in, and there was too much noise. And it, it took you guys a few years to like, okay, you're welcome to use the product, but this is the, this is noise. We're gonna focus on the people that are more likely to stay. That's gonna churn less, and that's gonna allow us to keep scaling and and, and, and get bigger. I think I think that's the biggest insight of like yeah uh, that so story. I think the way I look at this is like figure out how to remove noise. First, look at how to identify noise, right? Um, and and again, like look at your data. You have five hundred customers. Who is the right customer, right? And you you can clearly find it out. If there's no one, well, boom, you don't have product market fit. Go find the right customer. But the next thing is actually, um, it's really being smart about noise versus like long term traction, right? And I didn't realize that fast enough. And then when we realized that, we didn't do anything about it because we were worried about losing revenue. By the time we realized these founders and, and solopreneurs were not the right customer, uh, we were already making over a million dollars a year from this customer segment. So in hindsight, um, uh, in hindsight, I should have said not building for this customer. But think about this. If somebody's giving you... The Thousands of customers are giving you a million dollars a year. It's really hard to say no to a million dollars, you know. But you know, in hindsight, it was like a ten million dollar mistake, and we could have, we could have been the billion dollar space sales engagement we're in. We could have got more market share in there, which is peanuts to that million dollar decision I had to make in two thousand eighteen. Yeah, but it's definitely a very hard decision to make, right? As a founder, here's a million dollars. Sometimes it's hard to look at the future. And the reason we do this show is so like people can learn with founders like yourself that got there, they made a mistake. And but it's a I can't understand like being in your shoes, a million dollars, uh, early days. It is a lot of money, and it's, it's a hard call to to make. And eventually, you made it, but maybe it was like harder to, to get there, right? Yeah. Uh, and follow-up question like now you're a mayor shake you're going the right direction of messaging you still kind of like have those two customers whatever but what's your biggest fear when you're kind of like going the mayor shake direction like what was some of your biggest fears that you have at that point i don't know i don't think i had any like actual fears um i just was i was anxious more than anything anxiety like stress like will this work how long will it take to get to work like there's all these like I, because I told you I wasn't, the outcome didn't fear me, good or bad. I was like, hey, bad's fine too. If I, once I accepted bad's okay, like once I accepted like failure is okay, my fear of failure went away, right? And I think that's the best, best thing that can happen to me. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it was just the anxiety and anxiousness of like, oh, we're going to build this functionality. Will it do anything for the business? Like, like we just like, we had to take all these like, calculated risk or bets and you know now but like you know five years down the road i'm like yeah some of them were just hunches and like some of them are bad and i still don't know the good ones from the bad ones you know i probably like post-mortem i need to give more distance from this uh business to be able to do that but yeah uh, it was just a lot of anxiousness how did you manage that how did you mention your anxious did you do anything to try to like sports whatever what did you do to manage that because i think every founder has that exercise and connecting with other SaaS founders 
were the two biggest things that helped me. So, uh, if you're, so exercise, just like literally just running it, like psychological, uh, sorry, physically actually changes you, makes you feel better, fitter, helps you physically deal with the things that are making you anxious or get away from it, whatever, like do something that makes you happy, whatever hobby it is. If you like playing chess, do that for an hour a day, right? Or whatever amount you can, uh, to spend. But other SaaS founders as well helped me um, realize everyone doesn't know what, no one knows what they're freaking doing. Like everyone's making these stupid mistakes. I'm like, I guess I'm not as dumb as that guy. But like I learned something from that guy's mistake. And then like that girl like did this thing and it worked out. It was a crazy bet. Like, so I realized like we're just a bunch of cowboys doing stuff, but no one really has everything figured out. Like they're having everything figured out is really like the path of an employee and i'm like yeah that's not what i'm choosing here so yeah i guess uh, everyone's still winging it uh but having the support network is super critical um and, and there's like you know so i say oh go talk to other SaaS founders where do you go there's go on facebook groups go get out there there's eo and ypo once you pass a million two million three million in an arr there are groups Entrepreneurs Organization or Young Presidents Organization, I think, YPO, uh, paid membership, but they're all other entrepreneurs. Just surround yourself with entrepreneurs. It will make you more successful. You'll learn from people doing a way better job than you. And you'll hear stories and the diff- like the difficulties that every entrepreneur faces will just become your normal, right? Like it's only like, being an entrepreneur is only hard if like you think you're the only one. If you hear about other people's like, you know, I heard about somebody losing a billion dollar opportunity and going into like $50 million in debt, like in bankrupt, like their whole business like crumbled essentially. Um, and anyways, like I was like, oh yeah, like whatever I'm doing at MailShake is fucking <laughs> easy compared to what this guy just went through, right? So like, um, you know, it's all relative, I guess. That's very actionable advice because like, yeah, like I say, everyone goes through that and being close to other people. So you learn from them. It's I feel like every entrepreneur should follow those two things. Exercise, surround yourself with other entrepreneurs. Uh, I have done that myself, too, and I I strongly recommend it. Uh, So what is one thing that you feel like SaaS founders in the early days most of the time do wrong and they should stop doing? Well, I think it's something they need to start doing. They don't do, which is start talking to customers, like all of them, every single one, like go learn, get qualitative information and stop doing anything with it. Like don't talk to a customer to do, and then I'm going to do X, Y, Z. Just talk to them, take notes. You take enough notes, there will be this aha moment of like, oh my God, we're just doing this badly. Or like, like it will come to you. If you're going to be, if you're think, if you're driving the direction of the product, trust me, the feedback will be so much in your face. It will come to you. Don't intentionally take one person's feedback and say, okay, I'm going to fix this. Just let it sit, just let it sit. And eventually you'll have a, a laundry list of things and the right two, two, three things will show up and you'll fix it. Or some, maybe two, three things, the right things and like one or two bad things and you'll learn either way. Um, Go, go through, get through that practice. Um, even now we still talk to our customers. I usually talk to one or two customers every month. I mean, uh, every week. Um, and, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's great information. And I asked them like, Hey, don't tell me how good the software is. Like, I don't need a pat on the back. What do you want to see? What will help you personally make more money or like get better results? Like, what are we not doing? What do you hate about this thing? And someone's like, I hate this little button here. It's so freaking annoying or whatever. And I'm like, okay, perfect. Thank you. Cause like, I can change that. I can't change anything. If you just tell me how awesome we are. I like how you also say, like, talk with customers. Don't stop talking to customers. Even nowadays, you're still talking to customers. But also, be a little bit laid back about it. You don't always have to act fast because someone told you something. The, the right thing is going to circle back to you at the right moment. Take time to digest the information that you are getting. Uh, don't be overwhelmed by all the information that you are getting as you keep talking to customers, right? I, I yeah. think that's amazing. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice that you hear in the SaaS community that you disagree with? You're like, no, that's not a good idea. That doesn't work for us. Like, I think that I guess like my direct answer on that is like, everybody has an opinion. Treat everything you hear as an opinion, not a fact, and and decide like decide if this works for you or you want to make this work for you, um, because. I would tell you today is successful. Like I just told you like how to get your first 100 customers. Well, in five years of running this business, I might find a better way and make that one, that would be stupid compared to the new way, right? Because everything changes. Like I remember a lot of folks were talking, um, like when they read stuff on TechCrunch or you read things out uh, out there, um, you read someone's blog, they're just sharing their journey. They're not done yet. When they're done, they might learn and go back and say, that was a bad idea. You know, a good example of this, not a good example, but an example of this is like transparency. I remember like Buffer started this trend or like was leading this trend of like transparency inside of a company where like they're sharing salaries and all these things. And that's fantastic. But like for them, um, that... I mean, fast forward like five, six years, they've been doing this. Did it actually work out for them? What did it do for them? Was it a marketing stunt? Was it retention? I don't know. I actually don't know. So was that successful? Like, are you going to follow that trend based off of someone just getting a lot of marketing value on it? Look at the guys at like 37 Signals or Basecamp. They have been super advocate of like, you know, bucking the trend, beating up on Apple for their policies and then they made it. They made a change of getting rid of a benefit, and all these employees quit. So, like, long story short, um, don't assume what you hear is the right thing. Assume it's an opinion or like an idea, and then is it an idea you want to? Is is an idea worth exploring? You got to ask yourself that later. Yeah, that's that's for sure. And so many times, like you say, and then you you see things. For example, if if you go back to thirty seven signals, I I read all their books. I love everything that they're doing. But then you see, like, they're just experimenting, and and they make a mistake, and things crash. So like, uh, people are just everyone is experimenting, and you have to like learn with your experience but make your own shots and 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 again like what's good today might not be good tomorrow i i, I love it this interview i think you brought a lot of um actionable insights for our listeners i would like to finish with like two questions uh basically what book i'm reading right now they recommend for founders to read uh and why are you excited about it and what they buy um like yeah um so i answer the last question what i'm excited about is just um 
kind of the laser focus we've got around like the customer we're going after. Um, and we've identified and, and that every single person at the company has talked to like talked to customers, that right customer and knows most of their pain points, at, at least now knows every, like from a customer support person to a developer, to a sales rep, like uh, my CFO, everybody knows what we're building and why and who, who we're building for, why we're building it and then what, what we're actually building. And it's like who we're building it for is like ingrained in their head. Um, what was the, sorry, you, you said one more question. What book am I reading? Um, what I'm reading, I read a lot. So I read a book, like I usually like, I do a lot of audio books. I usually, usually read one book every two weeks, three weeks. Like, uh, so at the moment, um, I'm reading, I'm rereading this book called no rules rules by Reed Hastings. Um, it's about Netflix's culture. Um, and then kind of how they empowered their employees. Um, and ah, it's really, it's a really good insightful book. It's really just about letting, letting go and, 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 you know, setting the culture and then letting the people in the business kind of define how it goes from here. Yeah. I love that book. I read it. Uh, and I remember reading it a few time ago and some of the hair advices, I'll be like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy. And then time goes by and I was like, Oh, she was right. I was the crazy one. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes yeah. again, again, you see books and everything is an opinion. Uh, again, thank you very much for coming. I think this is a great show and congrats on your success and, and getting here on Mayo Shake and even in your other ventures too. Yeah. Appreciate thank it. Thanks much. for having me. I uh, hope everything, uh, help, hope this helps, uh, future entrepreneurs, founders, uh, make less mistakes or at least make different ones yeah, for sure <laughs> that's that's why we're doing this awesome all right see ya SaaS origin stories is brought to you by dev squad to find out more about how we help entrepreneurs launch new products and help larger businesses plug in a ready-to-go development team visit devsquad.com Add us to your rotation by searching for SaaS Origin Stories in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. And remember, every SaaS hero has an origin story.